This is loudspeaker. The Urban Monk. You may have heard of Pedram Shojai, a former Taoist monk, an accomplished physician of Chinese medicine, and a man who has lectured on wellness around the world. Join us today as we talk about how we can get out of this crazy mindset and chaos of the world by finding the light within. Join us for this amazing conversation around how to get from focusing on external happiness and trying to get it all out there to finding that true light, happiness, and love within. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to be? I mean, the way I know you is the urban monk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You pre, know? Pre, pre-monk. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was... I was ranked number one in my high school. I figured out the school thing. I went straight to UCLA wanting to be a doctor. So this is pre-med. I'm banging around young guy, right? Like banging around doing all my biology and chemistry and all those classes and interning wherever I could, like in the hospital. So I'm interning at the pain medicine center. And wow, what a stark contrast to where I thought I was wanting to be. I mean, look, in my generation, immigrant kid, parents to sacrifice everything to get us over here. You're going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? That's it. Yeah. Like that's success. And little did, little did they know that doctors get, you know, the worst tax breaks and it's just, it's the worst. And so, but here I am, I'm going to be a doctor because my parents sacrificed so much and I'm interning with these doctors, man. A couple of these guys were miserable. One one guy in particular was just a miserable human being, a blob of human flesh with a lot of narcissism and ego about don't you who I am, run around jacking people up on morphine. And I just, it broke me. I was just like, I thought I was supposed to come in here and help people. I'm all bright eyed and bushy tailed. And I'm looking down the barrel of living this guy's life. And it just broke me. I was like, I can't, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Like this guy's life sucks. And I've worked so hard to attain this. And thank God it happened in pre-med, right? Like I didn't go through as much of the sleepless nights and the pots of coffee, forcing myself to do something I hated. And it, it shook me enough to then start asking questions. And one of those questions was of God, right? Like I didn't come from a, a, a religious background, but I was like, yo, man, if you're there, I could sure use a clue. I could sure use some help. And that's when a book fell out of a bookshelf and that doesn't necessarily happen in the physics I knew, right? And so I took it as as an omen and I took it as a clue that I just started following the breadcrumbs. And the more I asked questions like that, the more kind of magically these weird answers would show up. And when I learned to listen, life got pretty cool. Yeah. It's awesome. I just wanted to share with you, I had that happen with a book called when God speaks to you. (laughs) How appropriate. Right? And it literally, the book is about picking up signs. (laughs) And what was really interesting is I would be like out running and I would see hearts everywhere. Like there'd be a heart rock and a heart leaf and then the tar and the road was a heart. I mean, it was just like, they, so good. yeah, yeah. And, and so that's happened in several points of my life. I mean, that was like 20 years ago. And so, yeah, I've had that happen where it's like the divine's like, you are on the right path, sister. And, yeah. and, and listen up. Well, that's it. And like, for me, it had to be overt enough. I don't know what kind of like spiritual juju needed to be mustered to like kick me in the side of the head the first time. Right. And throw a book down. And it it was that overt where it's like, okay, only an idiot wouldn't take this as a sign. And that I've gotten that particular sign twice. I remember I was in Nepal. This is in the monk days, right? So just because you become a monk doesn't mean you're enlightened. It means you're on, on a path right? And I'm in India and Nepal. At this point, I had traveled India for like six months from ashram to ashram. And I was, I was doing this like, hey, how come all these other people have gurus and I don't have a guru? I want a guru. And just doing this like self-pity thing. And, and then again, it's just like, why is my path different 
than others. And as I'm asking this, I was like, okay, God, I, I guess I'm not supposed to have a guru. If there's, if there's a clue you need to send me right now, I'm, I'm all open, right? And again, second time in life, book falls out of a bookshelf. This time I'm in a bookstore, a famous bookstore. I think it's called Pilgrims. I don't know if I hope it's still around. It's a famous bookstore in um, Kathmandu where travelers come through and leave spiritual texts and all this stuff. And like people will leave books behind it. It was just like this magical, magical place where as you know, there's all these ancient manuscripts that you're like, wait, how can you buy this? And a book fell out of the bookshelf. Now, mind you, I'm studying with Hindu masters, the Dalai Lama, the Karmapa Lama. Like I'd done this tour studying with like all these like Buddhists and Hindus. And the book that falls out of the bookshelf is called Adam and the Kabbalistic tree. And I'm like, Kabbalah, come on. And again, since books aren't supposed to fall out of bookshelves, I was like, okay. And so then I studied Kabbalah and Hermetic Christianity for the next four years because that's what God said. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, take us a little bit on that journey. How did you get from the first bookstore and getting that (laughs) awakening to, to being a Taoist monk? So the first book fell out of a shelf at the university research library at UCLA. I was, I don't know, studying for some paper or something and boom. And it was a book called The Wandering Taoist by Ding Ming Dao. And the passage that it had opened up to was of this Taoist wizard, really, this Taoist master leading his disciples across this raging river during like a torrential flood by connecting the lower Dantian, the lower kind of Hara energy and creating like a chain and walking them across this river and defying physics. And I'm like, come on, what is this? Right? Like I'm not that guy yet. Right. But God threw a book down. I'm going to read it. And so I read the book that night and was just like enamored with this Jedi stuff. Okay. So what's the next step? And so I'm like Taoism, Taoist teachings. Like what is there a Taoist teacher? And I find one in North Hollywood, which is, I don't know, 15 miles as the crow flies from where I was sitting in my dorms. So I dragged my buddy Jason to this place with me a couple, a few days later. And as we're in the antechamber of this kind of rickety old seventies looking studio with just a bunch of crap on the walls and swords and all this stuff, we're just like, well, look at this place. The master is on the other side, we're in this like antechamber kind of waiting room area. The master's on the other side of the studio and he does this little thing where he kind of tilts his head, spins around, walks through the entire studio, walks by my buddy Jason, comes straight to me, looks me in the eyes and says, welcome, I've been expecting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, this just stayed weird, didn't it? (laughs) Okay, I'm here. Like, okay, what's next, buddy? Right? And and so we just we take a tour. We walk in, and he's just like, yeah, this is this is where you belong. Like, you're back. Right. It was this weird kind of cosmic, like, it's good to have you back, old friend, kind of thing. And I'm just a normal guy still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I was just like, I, I, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. And within a few weeks, I'm doing several hours of Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Xing Yi, Bagua, Qigong, stuff I didn't even know how to pronounce. Right. And I'm like doing all this Jedi stuff. And fast forward six months, he pulls me into his office and says, hey, listen, the, the Grandmaster and I have decided to run a Taoist studies program and revive the lineage and train in some monks. And I'd like you to be a part of it. I'm like, well, who else is doing this? And he mentioned all the names. They were all the black belts that have been there for years. I'm like, why me? He's like, because I I think you're ready. And before I could say no, I said yes. And mind you, like, so so let me just give some context here. Is the, the Yellow Dragon Monastery was burned to the ground by the communists. So Mao decides that religion and free thought and all these things are dangerous to the communist way back in the, back in the cultural revolution kind of thing. And my grandmaster was off property visiting another monastery at the time. Soldiers show up, kill everybody, throw the rest of them in jail, burn down the temple this party's over. This one guy was off property and they're like, oh yeah, hey, we have really bad news for you. They smuggle him on a boat to Chinatown, San Francisco. And he's the last living carrier of this torch. 
And he comes to San Francisco, starts teaching, and then he moves down to Chinatown, Los Angeles, and starts teaching my teacher and two other non-Chinese for the first time in history. And so the lineage is alive in the hearts of these individuals. The temples burned down. So when, you know, they say, hey, listen, so you're going to be a monk. I'm like, okay, what, what monastery? They're like, no, 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 no. The monastery is now in your heart. We don't build things they could burn down anymore. You're going to carry this flame in your heart. And it was just this, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I, I ended up in this place and this guy somehow thinks I'm special. I don't think I'm special, but yeah, okay, let's do it. And that was the beginning of this four-year journey as a monk in the lineage. And the deal I had was with my parents. They're like, listen, you you idiot. We brought you here. You worked your way up. You're ranked number one in your high school. And now you're, you're doing all this like weird stuff. Please stay in school. So I said, look, I can't drop out of school. And they said, no, that's fine. So I would study hard, take multiple units for three quarters, take a quarter off and go on sabbatical somewhere. And as soon as school would be over, I'd drive over to the studio and train till like 11 o'clock, go back for classes in the morning. And because I hardly had time to study, with all this other stuff, it forced me to be unbelievably present in class, in lecture. Cause as this guy's lecturing about whatever he's lecturing about, that was my only chance to hear it before I had to regurgitate it during the midterm. So I would sit there with the book open, reading and referencing, listening to what he's saying and just getting it in the moment that I had to get it because I didn't have time to come back. And it taught me a lot about mindfulness and presence because if not, I'd just, I don't know, I'd be sitting around looking at girls or goofing off, you know, this pre-cell phone, right? Like cell phones weren't that when I was in college. And so you'd be sitting off, sitting in class, park, parking your body somewhere, goofing off, wasting time instead of being present and learning what you're there to do in the first place. giving me chills. I've been over here just just freezing. But I love that image of just like you're just inputting all of this into you. And and when we're present, we're able to do that, right? I mean, you really at a at a really young age, it sounds like, learned the importance of that. You were like really having to show up in your life. It wasn't look, it wasn't great at the time, right? Because I was feeling sorry for myself. It's like all my friends are going to the parties and getting to do this and that and the other. And I've took taken on this like weird Chinese stuff. And I don't, I don't know, but did I make a mistake? And and the more I did it, the more to life I would come, the more I'd learn about the wisdom of the universe. And, and so at this young age where you're trying to identify and become who you think you're supposed to be, I was in a deconstruction process shattering all notions of who I think I am. And, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's an abyss, right? You are, you, you're around all these people who are pretending to be these things in culture that make it safe. It's like, oh, I belong to this fraternity. Therefore I am this type of person, right? And all that gets pulled out from under you and you're not allowed to pretend and you just have to ask bigger questions. That's tough as, yeah. as an American teen, right? No doubt. So was, was there a moment for you of just kind of, awakening to like, this is my life path. This is where I see myself like this, or did it take time? What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, there's little moments, right? Where we do this training where it would be, I would trail run during the day. And then the master would be like, big deal. Do it at night. Do it during a new moon, no flashlight. And so I would do all this like crazy stuff where I'm running down a mountain on a jagged cliff with no light, just looking at the glow of the, the plants and the trees and the mountain and, and just kind of shooting the gap into the darkness, hoping that's the trail. And just all this crazy stuff that I was doing while my friends are like playing beer pong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. At a certain point, you're like, I guess I'm different now. I guess I'm different. And, and that just starts to build on itself and you start to have this kind of supreme resolve. I mean, I was celibate for two years 
during this training and I'd go, I, I wasn't allowed to not be a human. I, I said, listen, part of this is I'm also studying hedonism and I'm also going to understand what it's like to be a kid in this world. And so I'd go to parties and, and drink water and, and dance and, and watch. And then I'd be like, wow, am I that dumb when I drink? Huh? How about I don't? Right. And, 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 you know what I mean, and so you just start to see just the, the, the idiotic rituals that, that people go through in the Western world to individuate and then create these fragile identities that are, are completely based on nonsense. And so I was exposed, it was very difficult at that age, right? Yeah. To be exposed to it while also trying to individuate and like find some ego strength and identity and all this stuff. It was very difficult, but I'd, I'd have it no other way, right? Now I could hang out with pretty much anyone. Yeah. I mean, and how interesting as you say that. It's like your ego was being deconstructed as other people were building theirs up with kind of a false image or a false sense of who they thought they were. Ooh. And you fast forward to the life you see today and all these people who are like, I vote this way or I act this way because I'm a so-and-so person. And at you know the ripe age of 18, 19, I got to see the fragility of these artificial constructs that then develop these humans who think they know who they are and then vote red team, blue team, or just join these like cults. It's all just cults. It's just a bunch of idiotic, I need to belong because I'm afraid of who I am deep down inside mentality that is the the fabric of our society. And so like, it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch how crazy our culture is based on these like just these really superficial primitive constructs that are defense mechanisms that are built in those years. And I had to sit there and watch it painfully and not participate (laughs) right at that age. Right. Right. When, when most kids, I, I feel like don't even have the ego strength to say no at that age. (laughs) It's like belongingness, wanting to fit in, That stuff is so important. Yeah, but think about it. But think about the brain structure that goes into it. Like if if I were to tell you that here's some practices that support blood flow and energy output to the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for higher moral reasoning, negation of impulses and rational thinking. And I'm going to give you a fighting chance to develop that part of your brain before your peers and allow you to say no to impulses and not be a monkey and get into less trouble and, and, and guide your life at an age where you, you know, can pick a direction better and you have all the opportunity in front of you at a university before you blow it. What the hell are we thinking? Sending these kids into these feeding frenzies of fraternities and sororities and just this idiotic place where your identity is given to you by a culture that's more than willing to tell you how to think and who to be. Yeah. Right. It's just insane. It's insane. Like, thank God I asked God for help at the age that I did. Totally. Totally. It it reminds me of this scene out of Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, where in the very beginning of the movie, they have like this cartoon and they're, they're putting these kids, it like says like education or something. And they're going through basically a factory and it stamps them all the exact same. So they come out on the other side looking exactly the same. They're all wearing sunglasses and Mickey Mouse ears from Disneyland. And it's like, yeah, so this is the American factory, right? This is... That's it. Yeah. But but then there's the doctor factory where now you're around doctor people who are like judgy and like they go through, they, they punish each other like a fraternity. So like once you like go through that, you feel like you're entitled to your ego, right? Then there's the Wall Street factory. Then there's the teacher factory. And every single one of them have a a way of thinking and a way of being and a way of belonging that has never been questioned because, you know, this is the type of person you are. This is how you vote. and This is how you shop and this kind of car you drive. It's all insane. It's all a fabric. It's all, it's, it's all um, a fabric of our imagination, but it wasn't our imagination. It's an imaginal reality that is given to us and we just somehow feel like we belong. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's an awesome place to segue into a question for you, which is how do we start breaking through the illusion? We have been so preconditioned, like Don Miguel Ruiz says, we've been domesticated 
the the wild spirit's been domesticated out of us, really being taught. We're, we're not taught at a young age, hey, get to know your spirit, get to know the essence of who you really are, develop that. It's like exactly like you're saying, it's like, no, join this, join this, fit in this way, stamp, stamp, stamp. You become this identity. Yeah. Get your pension, get your watch. It's slavery in its most intricate, amazing form that you don't even see happening. And it comes through education and it comes through indoctrination. I mean, you think about who started the major universities in America, it was the Vanderbilts and the, 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 the big rich guys basically needed to create a corporate class that then managed their businesses and basically thought that like being a CEO is the upper echelon of where you need to be. The CEO is a bitch. He works for the board, right? And he answers to them and he gets fired and he stresses and he has heart attacks and the, the, the founders and the people that put up the money and have the company, guess what? He answers to them. And they trained this middle class bureaucratic class to then work for them and believe that corporate America and like these, these crazy conveyor belts that we have been trained to put ourselves on are the meaning of life, right? And right. it's just insane. The only way out in this world is to pull your attention back. And so what does that mean? And uh, yeah, literally, I just my latest book is on this. It's called Focus. And the reason why I had to step back out of my comfortable life to be like, yo, folks, let me shake you a little, is that in the information age, it's being now called the attention economy. The media and the social media monetize your attention. The more you are tumbling down the white water of some feed, some story, something that pisses you off, the more you're spending time on their platforms, the more they can justify advertising dollars and make billions of dollars off of your attention. Now, let's dissect what this attention is in a Taoist sense, because I think it's incredibly relevant in context of what we've been talking about, is the attention in the Chinese system is called the Shen translates as the mind or also translates as the spirit and it lives in the heart. When you fuse your attention with your intention, you can manifest anything you want in life. Now we'll bank up intention and blow it by January 4th because we don't have any attention left because it's scattered into this information age. Think about it. Your mind slash spirit is being pulled out of your eyeballs into a social feed, into some media platform, into something that's saying, look at me, look at me, instead of retroflecting it back into your own awareness of your own state of being, into your own consciousness to become self-aware so that your spirit lives in your body, you are becoming disembodied. You are pulling, your spirit is being pulled out of you by this beast of an electronic universe that is not looking out for your best interest. And it's not just the internet, it's media. It's the way the world is constructed. It's not looking out for your best interest. And so you are an empty, hungry soul out there, spiritless, waiting for someone outside of you to give you an answer, to tell you what to do, tell you what to think, tell you what to buy and tell you who to believe in. It is the devil. So the only way you can individuate, come back, is to take your focus, your attention back into your own heart, have your spirit live within the cage of your own torso, and activate your life force to come back to life, to wake up to the matrix all around you, and be a fully embodied human spirit inside of a human body, activated and capable of actually thinking for yourself and living on this planet as a master. I can't sugarcoat it. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain 
and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. I had heard you say people that just got so into the secret and that was just such a material focus and like, oh, I'm going to manifest this thing in my life how superficial that is and that it, it takes that combination of what you were saying, intention, attention, and action for something to happen. Yes. And look, the secret, I mean, think about it. You've been told what to want your whole life. You just don't have it, so you're pissed. So now I'm going to teach you some magical formula that's going to get you to click your heels together and get that yacht that you wanted because somehow that's going to make you happy. That's, that's dark. That's black magic, right? Why the hell do you need a yacht to be happy? Be happy. And then if you want to get a yacht, fine, right? But the yacht isn't what's going to bring you happiness, right? And so this dream that we're sold of, it depends on what social class you're in and who you think you are. Like Wall Street guys think it's a yacht with a bunch of girls in bikinis that are always half my age. Is that the vision of happiness? What are you, crazy? Montana guys think more land, more cattle, more space, more freedom. That's my happiness. And everyone has got their own kind of vision of happiness packed into their consciousness that's this thing outside themselves that will somehow magically bring this internal state called happiness when the internal nexus of control has never been there. You're always going to be chasing your tail. Well, and so then that is it, right? That's the question. Then how do we gain that sense of inner focus? How do we start really claiming our lives and really, I guess, experience that happiness, that knowingness inside of us? What helps create that? So, I mean, Jesus said, be a light unto thyself. And if you take that literally you understand that Jesus was a dude that also traveled in India and Asia and learned all these practices, yet they take all of that and pull it away from anything he did and just say, look, you know, read this old book, parables. And they've stripped it of the beauty of the work that's actually to be done. Don't listen to what someone tells you to believe. Do the work and see the light yourself. How do you see the light yourself? I mean, how many traditions do I need to rattle off between the shamanic, the Chinese, the, the Japanese, the, the Korean, the Tibetan, the Hermetic Christian, the Kabbalic? All of these traditions have the work built in. And the work is what? Turning your attention around, activating the inner light, turning on it's not the the sun, like the, the, the S-O-N of God. It's the S-U-N of God, right? This comes from like very ancient practices of igniting the light inside of you to understand that you are a light being. Understand that everything you're doing here on planet Earth is based on a currency of sunlight anyways. Let me, this is worth a, a, a one minute digression is how did life end up on planet Earth? The fungal kingdom showed up on this rock and started break, breaking down the rocks, creating the soil. Then the plant kingdom showed up and magically figured out how to take photons from our sun, pack them into, turn them into energy, pack them into carbohydrates, which then animals started eating. And then we showed up and started eating those animals and eating those plants. And basically everything that we ingest, the currency of our life here on planet Earth is little packets of starlight that plants were able to transform into energy that turns into me wiggling my finger here, right? And so, okay, what is that? No one ever stops to think about that because I'm on my way to like buying a car and, and being a banker person, right? And we don't even think about who we are and where we came from. We're little packets of starlight with consciousness. So how do you turn that consciousness inward and bring those rays of starlight inward to ignite the spiritual centers that wake you up. Let's just talk about one of them, your third eye. Oh, that happens to sit right at the same place your prefrontal cortex sits. And we know that if you do meditation for a few weeks, you have at least a 10% greater density of cortical neurons and light, specifically light, neuronal energy firing light in that part of your brain. And the more you do it, the more you ignite it, the more it turns on and the more capable you are of saying no to the cheesecake, more capable you 
are of making rational thoughts and having higher moral reasoning. And the more you turn that on, the more aware and awake you become, and you get better at this thing called being human. We understand that this all happens and the the ancient literature is there. The scientific literature is there, but oh my God, you asked me to do something. I have to work. I'm out. Yeah. 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 Yes. Right. Oh my God. Like, okay. So I'm just going to sit here and say that and realize you're not going to listen because you're waiting for someone to hand you a pill because you've been trained to think that again, the answer comes from outside of you. And that you don't have to take any personal responsibility or own the consciousness that is to be ignited. You're not home. Knock, knock, knock. Hello. Come back. That is the central problem. That is the crisis of consciousness is if you think that that work sounds like too much work, you are being maneuvered and you are being pushed around like the slave that you are being told what to think and what to believe, thinking something outside of you is going to fix you. Come back. Come back. That is the central tear in the fabric of why humanity is where it's at. You are a God. You are a sun. You are a star. Where the hell have you been? Come back. And that's the problem I see in the world today. That is it. And I I could think of so many other things that I've heard and read and interpretations. I mean, we could go as simple as the kingdom within, right? The kingdom within is that. I, I have so many conversations with my boyfriend who's a chiropractor and a shamanic practitioner. And he says to me, the time of the shaman is over. And in saying that, what he's talking about is it's not finding, like you said, it's not finding the guru outside of us. It's not finding the God outside of us. It's not finding whatever's we quote unquote say the fix is for happiness, for peace, for well-being. It's finding that light within. That's it. Right. And, that's and the look, kingdom. That that's been here. And what we're seeing is the throes of a past age trying to maintain dominion over the souls that had given themselves to saying, tell me what to do. And from the Piscean age transferring into the Aquarian age, if you believe in that kind of stuff, it's all about finding your own inner light and waking up to it. The time of the guru, the time of the shaman, the time of the politician making decisions for you, the time of the police protecting you. It's time for you to individuate and become a whole human, fully embodied and capable of all of the things that you're capable of doing, right? And, and that's just, it seems like a lot, a lot of work to a lot of people, doesn't it? But I put it to you that if you're listening to this thinking that sounds like a lot of work, what's more work? Your life, your life right now, it sucks. You worry about shit that doesn't matter. You're worried about politics and things, the world collapsing around you and what are they gonna do? Who the hell are they? Look at they, watch TV and see what the they look like. They're a bunch of lunatics out of their, they're absolutely out of their minds. You want sanity in the world? Start with yourself, come back, right? And build it around your community, your family and start bringing it back. Everyone is looking outside of themselves for answers. That is not what the answers are. Well, that's so much, Pedram, what I'm dealing with in my own private practice and my clients that, that show up every morning and are like, oh, my God, life does feel so out of control. There's so much chaos. And, and that is I feel like that's my constant conversation lately is let's look at what is our internal locus of control. Because that's all you got. That's all we got. And and literally the conversation I feel like I've been having is that the idea of control, I have air quotes here, that it's an illusion. We don't have any control over anything out here, really. We don't know what's gonna happen when we get done with this interview, much less tomorrow or the next day or the next day. What we can do though is exactly what I'm hearing from you is we can bring that attention and intention within. Yes. You got to start with the bookmarks. I mean, I wake up and do Qigong every morning before I even pee. I meditate. I bring my focused awareness in and I see where I choose my day to go before I even look at my phone. Because I mean, look, between email, SMS, WhatsApp, Skype, I mean, just name all the places that come knocking before you even look at social. And then God forbid you turn on the news your day is gone before you even get out of bed if you're looking at your phone. 
And so that nexus of control is gone. Now, what can I control? I can control where my awareness is. Now, my awareness right now is on a podcast. My awareness is also doing something. It's also tracking my breath as I'm sitting here. I have established an operating system where I've tied my awareness to my breath and anchored it there. And if I start to feel anxious, if I start to feel like I'm fraying, if I start to feel like, hey, hey, I'm a little discombobulated, I have little sentinels in my consciousness saying, hey, where's your, where's your awareness right now? Oh, it was on what Trump said. It was on what Pelosi said. It was on what mom said. It doesn't matter what external stimuli is. Come back, come back, come back. I'm now focused on my breath. I'm back in here now. Okay, how did that make me feel? That's interesting. What was I doing right now? Oh, I was working on this thing and I started fretting about this other thing. Okay, we're back, right? And that's all I got. And the better I get at baiting and tackling right there, the better I get at all things in life. And because it's so simple, people tend to overlook it because I think that what one of the fundamental problems humanity is having is we've become so complicated that we think we need a complicated solution to our complicated problem set. But what if the answer to complexity was actually simplicity? Yet we over overlook that thinking it has to be complex because we're so complex. Just focus on your breath, man. Go for a walk. It's not that complicated. I, I love that the antidote for this chaos and being focused on all this chaos in our world is as easy as just noticing your breath, just stopping. From, from my own life coach and mentor, Tom Cronin, who I work with, he's doing the stillness project all over the world. And that's what he's hoping to do is teach a billion people how to do exactly this. It's breathe. And one of the most simplistic meditations he gave me that has just been amazingly profound is sitting down with my back up against the wall, my butt on the floor, and all I'm doing is focusing on that bottom energy center and like feeling literally just into my butt. And where does my butt connect with the floor? And I do that for 10 minutes and then I lie in Shavasana for 10 minutes and let it assimilate. Yummy. Oh my God. I get up from that. I feel so amazingly grounded and oddly just like abundant. And it, it's been one of the transformative meditations in my life. Yeah, it's look, do you, do you have to change into Lululemon to do it? I do not. Right. Did you change your name to like Shavasa Swara? No, you're still Stephanie, aren't you? Like, and so it's like, there's no imbued cultural nonsense on top of all that either. Right. Where it's like, Hey, I, I'm just a gal who's sitting against the wall. It doesn't have to be this weird thing. Right. And, and because it became this like cultural identity thing where like, okay, well, these are the wall street people. These are doctor people. Now these are the spiritual people. Well, I'm not one of them. I'm one of these. So I can't do that again. It's all these unbelievably primitive constructs of who we think we need to be so that we can interface with each other and stop, you know, judging each other in, in society. Put your butt against the wall, sit down and breathe. What's the big deal, right? But yet, if I'm not like one of those people, I can't do that. It's insane. But you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, for so long, and that's, that's one of the reasons I've been excited though, how science has been catching up with spirituality and psychology. It's all kind of been blending together more and more, I, especially the last 10 years I've seen this, but we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. We also have detours, right? I think that the apps and a lot of these like things that people are starting to get addicted to are dangerous, right? Like mind space. Oh yeah, I can't live without my mind space. That's idolatry. If you can't find that space without an app, you're being intercepted and that's dark, right? So teaching people how to learn the skills and make them intrinsic skills that they can access within their own consciousness. Oh, I do ayahuasca four times a week because I'm closer to God. Yeah. I've done ayahuasca once in my life. That was enough. I can now go back and access that place. If you're doing the drug every week, you've missed the point. If you're doing the app all the time and you need the app, you've missed the point. And so I think there's a lot of places where the work gets intercepted 
And one has to be careful to understand that it is an intrinsic talent. It is an intrinsic force. It is an intrinsic skill that needs to be owned by you. Don't practice idolatry. Don't give the golden calf of the app your affection. It doesn't deserve it, right? Learn the skill, move on. I know that one of the things that you have on your website is the life garden. Talk about that. That that seems like that's one of these means or one of the ways to get to this place, to better fortify ourselves and learn some of these practices so that we can be in this more grounded, centered, in touch with the light place. I'll tell you how the life garden was born was when I came down all bright eyed and bushy tailed from monastic training and was up in Nepal for months and came back and was like, I found this thing, it's Qigong. I'm going to teach it to people and it's going to transform their lives and they're going to be better. And for some people it was true. It worked. And for other people, it was like a powder keg that would blow them into further chaos. And I'm like, huh, I thought I was helping these folks. What the hell's happening here? And I started to look at the lives of the people that would spin out of control. And I realized that their energy economics were off. They were kind of like the energy equivalent of lottery winners. If you're terrible with money and you get a gajillion dollars, you're going to blow it in a few years and you'll be broke again. So what is the operating system of the individual that allows them to take energy and have a system to let it water the plants in their life garden in a way that's healthy, sustainable, and balanced. And so I developed this thing called the life garden over years of just doing this work and working with people and working out the wiggles where it's like, look, what are the five most important things in your life? Those are the plants that you have to allocate water to. What's water? It's time, money, and energy. You trade those three for each other all the time. And so as you start to allocate your water to these five plants, how much is needed to honestly get your life where you say you want it to go? Is there a deficit already? And how much of your water is going to weeds that are not those five, yet somehow are sucking water out of your life? And as you start to create an operating system and a budget for where your energy is going and have clarity on where you want your life to go and what's important to you, then you have a matrix through which to identify plant versus weed. So you can say no to things that don't fit in your life garden, at least for now. Like I could say yes to things and say, you know what, six months from now, that sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do it. But right now I'm busy. Or no, that's a hell no or that's a maybe yes later, and just developing an interface so that you can, you can see reality through what your perspective needs to be to get your life to where you want it to go instead of tumbling around in the whitewater wondering why your life isn't working out. And so as I started to establish this metaphor of the life garden and kind of imprint it into the awareness and consciousness of people who then got to choose where they wanted their life to go and learned where they were saying yes to things they shouldn't and where they needed to be better at saying no, then as we upped the energy in their life, as we gave them more clarity and gave them more juice, it would feed, like it's, it's the difference between an explosion and propulsion. You could put a bunch of like rocket fuel on a heap and light it and run. Or you could put it into a rocket engine and then go to Mars. And the difference is direction and clarity and focus. And as I started doing that, that's when people's lives really started coming together. That's when I started creating really positive stories for people where they'd be like, dude, I lost 60 pounds, reversed my diabetes, and my career is here, and my kids are here. It's like, whoa, holy crap, it's working now right? But it needed a matrix. It needed a system through which people can filter the, oh God, the millions and millions of items, bits of information, stimuli that come in that are all distractions if you're not focused. That brings me to the the name of your book, Focus, your new book that just came out in November, Bringing Time, Energy, and Money into Flow. So talk a little bit about that because my sense is that this just dovetails what you were just talking about. 
Yeah. I mean, look, we'll trade time and energy for money all day, every day, right? I can get up. I have a certain amount of energy. I spend my time doing something. What is it? And what does that do? Most of us will trade our time for uh, our time for money, but then we'll blow our money on stuff we don't need. Or I could buy other people's time with money. I could buy energy in the form of petroleum or solar or whatever that, you know, moves my car so I don't have to walk. I mean, just think about how we trade those things and then think about where your resources of time and energy and money are going. And are they going towards the things that you said are important to you or are they leaking into the weeds in your garden? And so developing this life garden kind of matrix in your life is tantamount to understanding where you want to go and why, how many heartbeats you have left and what you want to do with this thing called life. Cause if not, you're just wandering aimlessly anyways, which is fine. If that's your actual expressed intent, if not, then you're just getting pissed off because your life isn't going where you thought it was supposed to go. I've wandered aimlessly as a monk. It's a different deal. Now, what is the missing ingredient in all that? It's focus. In an economy that's called the attention economy in an information age that is designed to pull your attention away from whatever the hell it was that you thought was important into what they're saying is important. Where's your attention and focus? Is it on your life and your life garden? Or is it on the Toyota truck commercial in front of you? Or I can't believe she got that Birkin bag, that bitch, right? Like all that stuff that we do that pulls us away from our priorities and and, and tells us what our priorities should be. That is the cultural exorcism that needs to happen. If you don't pull your attention back, if you don't get your focus back into your mind, your body, your spirit, your life, then I'm sorry, you're just being mined for energy. Your time here is not yours. And your money that you're exchanging your time and energy for is going towards things that don't make the world the world you want to see, but the world someone else would like to see with your help. Thank you very much, right? And so you got to pull it back. You got to pull it back. Focus is the currency and it is the missing ingredient in the lives of, you know, thousands of patients and students that I've had over the years. And obviously you see this every day in your clinical practice. Well, and interestingly, like with this pandemic, it's like we all got slapped worldwide in the face, kind of this wake up, which also is opportunity if we'll take it. We've been asked to go indoors. What a great metaphor for inside if we take advantage of this. So if you you got a fever and you got really sick, Do you sit there and like go run business as usual or do you stop and be like, wow, how did I get so sick? Like, what do I, what do I need to do differently? Maybe I shouldn't have had those 17 drinks. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that sugar with the cheesecake. Right. And you go introspective. So you're like, wow, this sucks. I don't want this ever to happen again. Well, society just threw a fever. What's it going to be folks? (laughs) If you're leaving today, the essential message that you want people to hear in this time where I think it's so important. People are looking for some kind of, I want to say truth, but I also have to put that in parentheses. But they're looking for the cure, right? People don't want to feel the way they're feeling. People are scared. We feel it. There's like this collective sense of anxiety and fear that some days it's just palpable. What do we do? Where do we go? What is the cure? Cure's always been the same. I think the the caution on the side of the road hasn't been posted loud enough. The cure is always wake up. Milton Erickson, the founder of Modern Hypnotherapy, was asked in an interview, what's it like putting people in trance all the time? He's like, whoa, that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to take these poor people out of their trances. And so you're in a trance. You're being told what to do, think, feel, how to, how to be, what model wife, citizen, employee, what all that, all these scripts that were handed, right? And you're being told all of that. How do you wake up and how do you break the chain of command and bring it back to your own nexus of control? Well, stuff we talked about. There are practices. You start meditating, you start doing the work and you start start doing the work to the point where you start to get a little inkling of, uh, oh my God, this is working for me. And then you're like, oh, I'm a yoga person. Oh, I'm a this person. I belong to this church. And then the animal brain starts taking over and then you pull over because it's easy to be lazy. Now there's systems out there. Like look at Scientology. Oh, it's all a trap. Come to us. We'll trap you. 
right? And all the, the systems of religion will do the same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all illusion out there except us. Now you're with us. Good. Now we're going to tell you how to vote and we're going to tell you how to be, and you better be there on Sunday or we're going to judge you, but God doesn't judge. Right. And so all of these kind of mid tier systems are designed to, to talk about partial truths and then capture you back. So now you're sleeping with the guru. Now you're, now you, you're with the group think of these idiots, right? The answer is wake up. And when you think you're awake, you're just kidding yourself. Keep going. It never stops. You're an infinite being until you are a star in a fusion reaction that is igniting and lighting up worlds around you. You're not done. Don't stop, right? So, so don't allow your ego to, to, to pull over and be like, okay, that's enough. I got like this little bit of enlightenment. or I got this little bit of clarity over here. That's the trap. There are different levels of trap all the way up. And even the guru, I've seen the, the greatest of gurus fall because of sexual energy or something. Their, their ego gets them. Don't stop. Always keep your eyes fixated on the light. The light is not out there. It's in here. And the more you can stay there, the more you can humble yourself, the more you can wake up, the more you'll realize the cosmic joke of this crazy, silly, delusional, fabricated reality all around you. And when you do, you'll be laughing, you'll be crying, you'll be laughing, and then you'll be free. I promise you, the way out is in. I absolutely feel like I'm on fire right now. This was just one of my favorite conversations. And I know I feel like I say that after each interview, but I truly just feel lit up. This resonates with my heart and soul so much in that I know that we can start bringing more peace to the planet when we start bringing that same sense of peace to ourselves. That this is not an outside job, it's an inside one. And it has to start there. So as we start doing these things, these practices that we were talking about and that Pedram shared, you know, these, these ways of finding that light within. So stopping and actually doing the work and the work is actually breathing, taking a walk in nature, learning to find the guru or the happiness that you're seeking outside of yourself right there within. And so it becomes the most important journey that we'll ever take. And it's not up the mountainside, it's not to another country, it's actually the journey inward. And it's from that place that we find peace and serenity. We actually find clarity and resilience. We find a way that we can show up even more authentic, more grounded without ego in our true identity, in our true essence. And from that place, we're able to be change makers in this world from that place of pure light, from that resource place inside of us, we show up in the most beautiful ways in our relationships and with our interactions with each other and with the world. Let's pause. Let's take that deep breath. Let's focus our energy within, and then we can help be the change outside of ourselves. We can be that change we want to see in the world. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This is Loudspeaker.